I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Christine Gibson, MD, and author of the Modern Trauma Toolkit, Nurture Your Post-Traumatic Growth with Personalized Solutions. In a world where stress and adversity are all too common, Christine Gibson, MD, offers concrete strategies to not only overcome challenges, but to also harness them for growth. With a focus on practicality, her toolkit features over 40 activities that readers can easily integrate into their lives to initiate the healing process. She empowers readers to understand how their bodies respond to stress and equips them with the tools to reshape their reflexes for post-traumatic growth. Dr. Gibson, a family physician and trauma therapist, provides a blueprint for navigating the complex journey of healing after trauma. She's on social media as TikTok Drama Doc with over 130,000 followers and runs an international nonprofit global family med foundation to train professionals how to manage workplace trauma. Safer Spaces Training. Welcome to the show, Christine, Dr. Gibson. Nice to have you on. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much. Well, is there a more better time in history, I have to ask you, than to have the modern trauma toolkit? We have so much trauma, not only in our personal lives, but everywhere, in the workplace, in our families, around the world. So, Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we're finally talking yeah. about it. All right, let's start with that. We're finally talking about it. So I, I guess the assumption is we haven't been talking about it. What, we've dismissed it? put it under the rug, too ashamed to talk about it, or, or what, you know, what is it? Why, why haven't we talked about it? It's a good question, and I still think not everybody who needs to is, is in on the conversation, but um, my sense is we just didn't recognize it as such. When people used to go through it um, back in the days, we would call it uh, something wrong with them, like there, there's a personality disorder and women would be diagnosed with hysteria. Um, their stories would often not be believed. It wasn't really until the Vietnam War when men started to return with very significant PTSD that we finally started to gain an understanding. So it's really a new field of medicine and it hasn't had significant research. I mean, there's certainly no pill you can take. And that was what brought me on this journey. What about, okay, so you're saying that we traditionally, we blame the victim. I mean, that's been our, our, our tradition, uh, starting with Freud or before Freud, but, um, and now we're taking a look at it in a different way. Is that, that, that it's not the victim's fault, um, that we are traumatized by a lot of different kinds of things. So, yeah. And we're asking the question differently. Um, there's so many people who are saying that if you're looking at a person who's behaving in a way that doesn't seem rational to you, could it be that they've experienced trauma? And instead of questioning what's wrong with them, we, we say, well, what happened to them? And, and I've even gone further with um, some of the developmental trauma work and, and ask, well, what's right about it? Why does it make sense that they're acting in the way that they do? And it's just such a more compassionate conversation in that way. Uh, so let's continue or begin with the, uh, the compassionate conversation when we're talking about trauma. Are there different kinds of trauma? Uh, I mean, obviously there's individual trauma, group trauma, all of those kinds of things. So where do we start? I mean, 
in terms of the kinds of trauma that we're, we're talking about? Well, in Clinically, I mean, you're a social worker, and, and when I was in medical school uh, a number of years ago, we, we learned about PTSD, which many people have heard the term about post-traumatic stress syndrome and, or disorder, and uh, that's characterized by four symptoms. So a person who's hypervigilant, experiencing intrusive thoughts like flashbacks and nightmares, um, is avoiding situations that might trigger them, or having a negative worldview. And we are seeing that. You know, people who've been through significant events, um, whether that's issues in childhood or later in life, um, but complex trauma did not make it into the DSM. So it's not really in the lexicon of enough providers, and certainly not physicians. I had to learn so much about this to gain an understanding. Um, you mentioned uh, these system-level traumas, and more people are talking about collective trauma, but we still fail to recognize things like um, the pandemic, the climate emergency, racism, ableism. There's so much trauma in medicine. I mean, any surgery, any injury is traumatic to the body, and we fail to recognize the psychological impacts. So I'm, I'm talking about trauma in all these different areas, how it can impact people and set up that toxic stress response in our physiology in a way where we don't even have always a conscious awareness of it. It just becomes a reflex and almost like who we are. And I'm, I'm hoping people can learn that it's not the way you have to be if it's not comfortable. How do we become aware of it? Because as you're describing, you're saying many of us are not even aware. Well, let's take uh, uh, COVID and quarantine. I mean, that I'm assuming are, is a trauma for many people uh, or has been. Uh, so because we all experience, the whole world experienced that. So that particular trauma, each one of it, obviously, we also experienced it individually. There were different stressors depending on what our situation was. Um because uh, I think that's a good example that anyone, all of us can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was trying to really frame it in that way, and I did a number of writing pieces about it. I, I, I think rather than saying that people can all fit in boxes, I think in different hours of different days, we all experienced a little bit of fight, a little bit of flight, and a little bit of freeze. So, Fight and flight is when our body wants to move away from the problem. And because we are evolutionarily mammals, our problems used to be a predator or a natural disaster that we could walk away or fight. And the way it shows up in something like a pandemic, flight looks like um, restlessness, agitation, racing minds, and just feeling really um, unsure, uncertain. And fight looks like irritability, sometimes aggression. And we saw a lot of that, people who were fighting each other. You're wearing a mask, I don't agree with it. You're not wearing a mask, I don't agree with it. Um, these huge emotions that evoked over-vaccination. Um, and then freeze looks like dissociation, just shutting down not getting out of bed, not getting off the couch, feeling really isolated, depressed. And I think as physicians, we're quick to identify anxiety or depression, but we're not as quick to identify what part of those symptoms could be a trauma response. 
Well, in your book, you describe, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting you, I guess, but, uh, you know, these, uh, we need to have a self-soothing journey. But first we have to, and, and, and that's what you talk about, that's what your modern trauma toolkit is all about. But how do you become aware of that? I mean, are, you're talking about physicians. Obviously, they need to be educated. It sounds like most or many physicians are not educated, are not aware of this, Um and when you go to, so where do we start uh, if the individual isn't aware of, you know, all their anxiety, their depression, all of these behaviors, not sure where they're coming from? How do we mitigate all of this? Where do we start? Well, and I think that's why you and I are having this conversation. It's certainly why I joined TikTok. I never expected to do that <laughs> as an adult, but I think that helping people understand um, the possible reasons why their thoughts and behaviors might be showing up in ways that are causing them additional distress, um, it, it just opens that pathway to possibility. So yes, it could be depression, but it could also be a freeze response where you just feel so um, threatened by both your internal and your external environment, and then this signal of danger in your brain doesn't turn off. So the more that we help people understand the way that trauma shows up in the brain, the more that they might self-identify and say, oh gosh, I wonder if that's me. So we're talking about education, education, and education, right? On all levels. I mean, you're doing yeah. it on TikTok drama, trauma doc, which is, a, I love that. Um, <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's great. It's a great name. And obviously, you're, it, it's working because, as I said in the beginning, in the intro, I mean, you have over 130,000 followers. Did, you never expected that. That's what I just heard you say. Surprise. Um, oh, shocked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, when I hit 10,000, I was floored. <laughs> um, but obviously, there are people hungry for this conversation and to learn genuine medical information. So, you know, a lot of people don't know that there's good information on TikTok, but I follow so many creators that are, you know, mental health therapists and licensed clinical social workers and physicians, and there is actually quite good information there. You just have to avoid, you know, the influencers who graduated high school, read a book and said, hey, I, I'm a psychologist. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. It's quite easy to tell. It's, you know, we, we put our credentials in our bio. Um, yeah. Which is and, great. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know why? Because I think sometimes TikTok, maybe with just sort of the general, the media, they, they, they criticize, they don't even know what they're talking about necessarily, but they're, you know, TikTok is uh, not good or it has all this awful stuff on it. And they really fail to see the good stuff, like what you're doing, as you say, the people who are uh, professionals and who are really doing good work on TikTok. So... I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen so much of it. And the beauty is you can actually tailor your feed, so that's what comes up. Because when you are watching those videos through, that's the ones that keep keep coming. And I, I feel like there was not enough people talking about trauma in a way that wasn't triggering and talking about the actual events, which I, I certainly don't do, don't do, because that can set up those pathways in the brain towards those past experiences. And then a lot of people speak about it in a very academic way, and it doesn't make it relatable. So when I explain what it looks like to be dissociated, like, have you ever just been doom scrolling on social media and all of a sudden it's been two hours? And, you know, we think of, I, I work in addiction medicine, and we think of addiction as substances that people take. Well, I've seen so many young women, my, like people my age and younger, 
taking copious amounts of wine to cope with the stress of their day. And that is also dissociation. Like you need to feel more numb because the pain of your daily life is feeling really overwhelming. And I just don't think people have been putting two and two together enough. So the more that I can say something like that in a really gentle and nurturing and compassionate way, the more people might open the door to learn more and start asking questions. Well, you, you mentioned in the book, the Solutions Studio. Is that what we're talking about? No, that was that was a really interesting project that I was lucky to run at a community health center where um, I had patients with lived experience solve their own problems. So that was more a system level thing. So in the book, I get into a lot of body-based practices, some cognitive, but mostly somatic. Um, this is what we call the difference between top-down and bottom-up things that people can try. Um, but I also talk about the things we can do in community together because trauma kind of reinforces itself when we feel very alone. And there are so many system-level solutions and community-based work that we can also do to tackle trauma and prevent it. Okay, let's start, or let's, let's talk about community-based trauma. And, you know, recently in the news, uh, eight people were massacred in Lewiston, Maine, right? That's, which is where I'm from, by the way. Oh. Uh, yeah, originally. And, uh, I mean, a long time ago. But anyway, have, you know, obviously very familiar with the town. Okay, I would call that yeah. a community trauma. And, unfortunately, it's not just there. It's happening all the time around the United States. So how do we deal with that? Let's, that that's, I think that's, a, a, for me, that's a good example. Well, and there's multiple layers to that question. So there's obviously going to be a lot of PTSD in the survivors and the people who lost immediate family or or friends or who witnessed the violence. So psychological first aid is probably the first order for that. Um, and then PTSD from a single event um, requires processing the associations to that. And, and that's actually something as a therapist I can do fairly easily the complex trauma about who let this happen and why, that needs to be dealt with at the system level. So I, I even include chapters on policy work, the kinds of policies that support um, us collectively working uh, in a direction away from trauma. But if you think about the reason why, I mean, let's be honest, I'm from Canada. Yeah. The States is the only place that has such a significant problem. And I, I do think it's dissociation in leadership, people who are allowing themselves to remain disconnected from the pain. Um, there is such raw pain in the survivors. And the only way that you could hear that and not be moved would be to feel numb about it. And I think that's a lot of our policy and, and government leaders are making decisions from that dissociated place. They're not really understanding the amount of impact their decisions are having. So, I mean, the kinds of policies that support us having less trauma includes dealing with gun violence, dealing with the climate emergency, dealing with all of these system-level problems that are causing us such collective pain. You're talking about disassociation, and I think that's a great example, and that the politicians or the people who are, are deciding policy disassociate themselves uh, um, emotionally. How do you get them to connect? Such a good question. And, and I think they have to want to, because for a lot of us, like, like I, when I say that, it sounds like I'm accusing them, but 
um, for all of us, when we get stuck in these fight or flight or freeze responses, we're doing it to cope. So a lot of them have to distance themselves from the amount of pain because they feel this overwhelming sense of responsibility. And so it's easier for them to just cut it off and not feel this emotional attachment to it. So part of it rec- needs them to be able to recognize and, and be willing to connect. Um, so, I mean, one of the reasons I, I'm, I'm working not just at this one-on-one level now, I'm working on, well, how can I leverage my credentials and my awareness of um, systems entrepreneurship to make these broader system changes? And a lot of it means that the, the people that they are representing need to be asking them to be different and need to be telling them stories because statistics don't move people, stories do. The more that we can flood inboxes of our representative politicians with the story of how their decisions are affecting us, the more chance we have of breaking into that emotional connectivity to the problem. Yeah. I think uh, getting, uh, not getting back to it, but staying on the topic of what just happened in uh, in Lewiston, Maine, the the uh, when the press are talking to the people. Uh, Usually they respond with, well, it, you know, we are a medium-sized town or we're a small town. We can't imagine. We never thought it couldn't happen here. And you hear that every time, I guess, one of these massacres occurs. And I, I always wonder why the question isn't asked, well, why would you think it wouldn't happen here? What What is it? What is, you're talking about disassociation. What is it that makes you as a community think that you're different and that it wouldn't happen here. Isn't that kind of also disassociating? And it, it's, it's, it's not being able to it, understand the problem unless it actually happens to you? And I think it's a way that we collectively cope. It's, a, it's the exact same with the climate emergency. We had really significant floods in Calgary. We've had among the worst wildfire season that we could have ever dreamed of in Canada this summer. Um, you know, the world was collectively warmed by 1.8 degrees in September. And yet we still feel like the wildfires won't touch us. The smoke won't hurt our lungs. Um, and again, gun violence won't come to my home. Or, and, and even domestic violence won't come to my home. Like we, we really do um, use dissociation as a coping strategy. And it, it is a survival tool. So it helps us get through day by day without feeling overwhelmed or hopeless or despondent. So I don't want to say we should never feel a little bit numb because sometimes taking on the weight of the problems in the world can be really substantial. But if we disconnect from the possibility that these big problems could affect us, then we don't actually do anything to prevent them. And I think that is obviously one of the things that's happened here is the people who um, are advocating for, you know, the amount of freedom that you have in this country with, with guns, that they're not believing that it could affect them personally. And of course it can. Yeah. Well, it's a, I was going to say that that's true. And I'm glad you brought up climate change as well. Um, Here I'm in New York, but uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, you're talking about the like the wildfires in Canada affected us in New York, right? Now we can see it. Now we can see the effect of f- climate change. Same thing happens in California. All of the th- uh, hurricanes. Um, 
but we still have that kind of denial. How do you, and as you're saying, at one point, you don't want to be thinking about this all the time because it's too overwhelming, too depressing, too anxiety provoking. But then there's a point where you have to deal with it. What is that? What? It, where is that point? Where is that line where emotionally we have to say, okay, this is happening. We have to realize it. We have to cope with it. And uh, not that we have to wake up in the morning and think about it 24 seven, but, and, and I'm sure that's what you tackle in your book. Um, maybe we should get back to that, how I think that answers, maybe answers some of these questions. Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, and, and really the connection is, is back to our individual being. So like, even though we're in these cult communities and these cultures and these families and these greater, you know, nation states, we are just humans. We're, we're these vulnerable beings that are just trying to survive in the world. And the more that we can establish safety in our individual body, and heal those pathways, the less likely we're going to get stuck in one of those positions. And so I, I have great compassion for the leaders that are making these decisions um, because obviously they haven't uh, sufficiently established safety in their body that they can be awake and genuine with the problems that they're facing and they're having to make these really tough decisions. So the more that we can work on our own stuff and I mean, I personally believe everyone should be in therapy, but I, I know that's not available to everyone. And it's one of the reasons why I joined social media and put out a book that was really accessible. It's written in a grade eight language. It's, it's, written, it's really meant for everybody to start to understand, well, what is it that's happening in my brain that's leaving me so stressed out all the time? And if we start to work on that as individuals, then we won't see so much of this collective dissociation that's causing the policy problems. Well, as a physician, Dr. Christine Gibson, how many uh, other physicians, mental health workers, you mentioned them earlier, psychologists, social workers are on your team? Because I think politicians don't really, they're mess, they don't know how to get out the message. They get into this political infighting, and uh, at least in the, I'll speak for the United States <laughs> if I can. And uh, that's not really helpful. It's not helpful to their constituents. It's not helpful to the information. Their message doesn't really come across, even if they have good intentions, as you know, as you're describing what can be done. So how do we get more people on, on your team to be out there and doing what you're doing? It's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking or, or doing some kind of presentation at uh, five conferences in three weeks right now. So I'm, I'm reaching thousands of physicians. I'm, I'm here in Denver at the Lifestyle Medicine Conference, and um, I'll be exhibiting at a family medicine conference in Canada next week. And I, I'm just trying to speak to thousands and thousands of physicians. Um, but I do believe that organizations are more aware too. So the Safer Spaces training uh, programs that we're setting up is helping people let workplaces be more trauma-informed. And that starts from the very, very top. The people in leadership in any size organization need to understand how trauma is showing up in the employees and in themselves. And I think when they start to recognize what toxic stress does to a, a brain and to behaviors, they'll start to see these patterns in their family. And so often that first step is just awareness. So bringing awareness to more professionals. I, I mean, even all psychologists are not trauma informed. I was shocked to learn that, but a lot of them are, taught to do cognitive processing for anxiety, and they don't really have a toolkit for trauma. 
Um, and I spent years uh, getting certified in all kinds of therapeutic modalities. And um, as a trauma therapist, it's really specific work that I do. But the book is the first phase of that work. It's, it's establishing safety in the body, learning how to regulate your emotions, to tolerate this overwhelm that we often feel, and, and we all do, and we cope with it in different ways. Um, and to, to really learn the signals from our own body, because when we dissociate, we actually turn off the internal signals as well. And when we're stuck in that fight and flight, we actually amplify or heighten those signals. So even normal signals within our body become very dangerous um, in our perception. So the way that trauma shows up is often we're amplifying or dampening those signals. And for us to really reconnect, well, what is my body telling me? What is the environment I'm in? And to start to be able to feel that with a sense of safety. And that's all of the skills that I'm trying to help people understand. So the book has, I mean, we talked about some system level solutions, but most of the solutions are, well, what can you do? Like, what will actually help? What are the different ways that we can reframe our thoughts? What are the different practices and activities we can try to really start listening to those signals. I think the other thing is, and obviously we've been talking about this throughout the interview, but physicians, I, I really think, have to be able to initially, or at any time when anyone goes to their physician or their doctor, that the help patients to understand how stress impacts your body. And they very often don't mention that. A patient goes with a problem, but they really don't talk about that, which is exactly what you're talking about. But that really needs to be the first thing that they discuss, whatever the problem, heart disease, diabetes, uh, you know, other things that may be simpler, other patient problems, but that's the stress impacts negatively on your body. And, and, and the result is all of what we've been talking about. Um, and it's not always as dramatic as PTSD, but it can be slow and insidious yeah. and chronic yeah. and over time. Yeah. Well, in 1999, there was a study that was released in California through Kaiser Permanente. They surveyed 10,000 people, average people, um, people who were members of their health programs. And they tried to elicit how many of them had been through childhood trauma. And it turned out it was vast, vast, vast numbers, far more than they would have ever predicted. But more importantly, every single traumatic event that a child experiences, of the ones that they surveyed, which was a limited 10 questions, but of the ones they surveyed, it was exponentially related to every single physical, mental, and social health condition that we study. So there is no greater risk factor for ill health in adults than childhood trauma. And for me, this should have changed everything in medical education because the biggest thing we could do to prevent um, illness in adults is to actually support parents and to prevent the kinds of things that can happen in childhood. And then short of that, it's treating the manifestations of it. So when we diagnose somebody with high blood pressure, could that be because they're amygdalas are firing because they think the body is in danger and it's sending out all of this stress hormone through the system and telling the body that it needs to move. Um, so many illnesses that I saw in, you know, the, the folks that I've worked with, 
mental and physical illnesses were manifestations of their trauma. And it wasn't and something that I have to I stop understood. you on that one because uh, we only have 30 seconds left and we could go on and on this. No. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to, I've been talking to Dr. Christine Gibson, MD, and she's the author of the modern trauma toolkit, nurture your post-traumatic growth and with personalized solutions. And also you can see her on social media, TikTok tra- trauma doc. Uh, so exciting. All the, all the work that you're doing. And we really, I really appreciate your being on the show. Just give a one, website or two that we can go to to get sure, more information yeah, about you. Yeah, the book's available at moderntrauma.com, and you can reach me for speaking engagements at christinegibson.net. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great information. Thanks. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 